0: Good evening and welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study January 27th with the Traverse City Church of Christ. Our study tonight, if you'd like to be turning to the book of Revelation, we'll be studying in Revelation chapter 5, although we'll do a brief review before we begin. Before we get started, let's go to God in a word of prayer. Our Father, we are grateful and thankful beyond what we can express. But we thank you that you have done so much for us, not only in the physical realm, but also in the spiritual realm. And Father, we realize that there are many troubles and trials in this world. We pray, Father, for the strength to endure this. We pray for the leaders of our country and countries throughout the world that they may seek you in this time of trials. We pray, Father, as we study your word this night, that hearts and minds will be open to the things that we shall look at, that we will get truly a blessing from reading, from hearing, and heeding your word. All this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll be spending time looking at the screen tonight rather than look at my face, and perhaps that will help us to easier uh, comprehend what is being talked about in the Scriptures. I tend to go through this rather quickly, It does give us a sense of the continuity of it, but there are a lot of scriptures that are involved, so if you are watching on our Facebook page, you'll be able to stop and start at will in watching it because this is archived. Our website may be a little bit more difficult as uh, it may be in audio uh, after it has been archived. But here we have a brief review of our previous classes of chapters 1 through 4. In the first chapter, we had the introduction to the book of Revelation, and we are told what the purpose of this is. It is the revelation, which means a revealing, even though the Greek word is apocalypsis. We tend to think of something that is apocalyptic as being uh, very shrouded in mystery. But the purpose of this is not to further maintain a mystery, but it is to reveal It's the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show to his servants the things that must soon take place. And you'll notice that I have highlighted and underlined this, uh, that must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near." So we have within the first three verses, twice it tells us, the things that are going to soon take place, for the time is near. As we come down to the end of the book in Revelation chapter 22, it has 22 chapters, in verse 6 says, He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show a certain servants what must soon take place. And dropping down to verse 10 of Revelation 22, And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. So we have four times that it tells us that the things are going to soon take place and the time is near. And that leads us to believe that whatever was written in that first century and the people to whom it was written to, that the things that were about to transpire were going to soon take place. As we... Come down to Jesus giving his charge to John. Uh, John tells us that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Uh, He was on the island of Patmos, and we are told that he was on the island of Patmos because of the testimony of the Word. He was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet saying, What do you see in a book? Uh, Write what you see in a book and send it to the seven churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, and to Philadelphia and Laodicea. And these are the seven churches that are written to in chapter 2. As we come down to the end of Revelation chapter 1, again, Jesus identifies himself to, to John. He is not an angel, but he is actually Christ. He says, When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are, and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So here we have Jesus identifies himself to John and once again gives him the charge. The things that are, that you have seen, the things that are, and the things that are going to take place after this. As we came down to chapters 2 and 3, which were the seven churches that were just listed at the end of chapter 1, we find that in, that in each of those seven churches, he tells it. He identifies him as the words of, and Christ identifies him with a particular phrase uh, that encapsulated himself it, to each of the churches. Christ is the all in all. He tells them, I know each of those. He had, Christ had all-seeing eyes. He sees and knows all things. He says to several of them, but I have this against you. Christ gives them a warning. This is what I have against you. And he gives them the command, that which is going to rectify what is going on. He tells them that they must repent for those things that he has uh, against them. He wants them to repent. But he also says that in Christ's promises, he says, those who conquer... He will. And then for each of those, each of the seven congregations, he makes a promise to them of the things that he is going to, uh, the promises that he has made. And Christ's calling, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And to each of the congregations, he makes that, to those who have ears to hear. Uh, So those would be for them, and we also would have that for us as well. And so we come down to Revelation chapter 4. Which we looked at last week, and if we had a theme for Revelation chapter four and Revelation chapter five, we would go back to John chapter fourteen, when he says, uh, "Believe in God, believe also in me." So, in chapter four, is to believe in God. In the scene, even though we we looked at at many of the the things that John see and identified, and we could go into great te- detail as to what they are and how they represented. But it's the overall, and I call it the gestalt, which means the sum is more than the, uh, more than the, uh, the whole is worth more than the sum of the parts. So the whole that what he's seeing is more than just the individual parts. But it shows us the majesty of this. Uh, verse 1 and 2 says, After this, after Christ had, uh, had given him the directions of the seven churches, after this I looked and behold a door standing open heaven. And what does a door do? A door allows entrance and exit. Uh, And that door was open. And the first voice, which I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven with one seated on the throne. And that, the one, the throne in heaven and the one seated on the throne, and everything that surrounds us gives us the majesty and the awe of being in the presence of Almighty God. Remember, He does not see the Father sitting on the throne, but He sees a representation. Remember, He is seeing a vision. He is not seeing these things to be taken absolutely literally. But those who are hearing this in the first chapter would have understood that the things that are talked about here, and remember I've said about 70% of what is written in the book of Revelation can easily be identified in the Old Testament. And so the scenes... Uh, are not unlike those experienced by Moses. If we go back to Moses in the book of Exodus as he takes the 70 elders up with him, uh, he sees a scene very much like this. Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6 sees a scene like this. Ezekiel in chapters 1 and chapters 10 sees it. Daniel sees this. Paul says that he was drawn up in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. So uh, it is showing the majesty of God in this. And so as we come down to chapter 5, we would would say, chapter 4, believe in God. Now we're going to say, believe also in me, Christ talking about Himself. Worthy is the Lamb that we that's the theme that we would use for this. And so I'd like to to read the verses all at once, and then come back and look at the individual verses. Chapter 5 and verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of Him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain, with seven horns, with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders fell down before the lamb." And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. So we can see a a scene that is unfolding before us again. And remember, this is something that John is seeing and he is describing to us. And remember, the whole is more than the sum of its parts. It is the majesty of what's going on. He says, beginning in verse 1, Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And so the the first thing we look at is in in right hand. And and what does it mean to have something in your right hand? We go back to the book of Genesis 48 verses 13 through 14 where Jacob is giving the blessings to his sons. And when Joseph brings Ephraim and Manasseh to him to, to receive the blessing from him, It tells us, Joseph took them both and Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand and brought them near. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was his younger, and his left hand on the head of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. So here we see that the right hand of the one who was doing the blessing would go on the one who was going to receive the blessing. And uh, so we see that the right hand is significant. Uh, Exodus chapter 15 and verse 6. Uh, we are told uh, Moses says, "Your right hand, O Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy." In Leviticus fourteen fourteen, as the priest is to take some of the blood of the guilt offering and put it on the lobe of the right ear of the one to be cleansed, the thumb of their right hand, and on the big toe of the right foot. Acts five thirty one tells us that God exalted him, talking about Christ, to his own right hand as prince and savior, that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. So the right hand as we continue to see is the, uh, that which is in the power. Uh, in Revelation 1.16 it says in his right hand, in his, his hand of strength he held the seven stars and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. In verse 16 he says when I saw him, I felt his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me. So this, this idea of the right hand being that which is uh, special uh, which is of strength. And he says, seated on the throne. Uh, he, uh, we come here to uh, go back to Revelation 4, verses 2 and 3. It says, once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven. So this is the throne that was talked about in chapter 4, verses 2 through 3. And in Isaiah chapter 66, uh, I, it says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne. So we, we realize Uh, immediately that this throne that he sees is talking about that which is in heaven which God sits on and uh, as Jesus was uh, admonishing not to swear by something he says whoever swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it so we're seeing that that majesty of the throne of God uh, instantly recognizable to uh, those that envisions I made reference to Exodus 24 Isaiah 6 Ezekiel 1 and 10, Daniel 7, 2 Corinthians 12 and others, that, uh, those. He says, and, and he has a scroll which is written on both sides. And, 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 and some have speculated that one side was the Old Testament, the other side was the New Testament, uh, written on both sides. It really gives us the idea, uh, we go back to Ezekiel chapter 2 and verses 9 and 10, he says then I looked and I saw the hand stretched out to me in it was a scroll which he unrolled before me on both sides of it were written words of lament and mourning and woe why both sides perhaps because of the abundance of the calamities are going to come upon the enemies of God's people uh, there is a lot that God is going to reveal it is it is full typically a scroll would only be written on one side but here we're told that it is written on both sides it is full uh, of those things in which God has to say. And he says it is sealed with seven seals. Isaiah chapter 29, and, and again I use the Old Testament uh, verses to show that this is something that would not be unknown to the people who are familiar with the Old Testament. And remember that within these seven churches uh, there would have been synagogues in the area. So those who were Jews, those who were uh, scholars and scribes would have said, oh, that, that's from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah twenty-nine, eleven says, For you, this whole vision is nothing but words sealed in a scroll. And if you give the scroll to someone who can read and say, Read this, please, he will answer, I can't. It is sealed. <coughs> Pardon me. Anything sealed requires someone authorized to unseal it. A seal guarantees concealment until such a time as the authorized person breaks the seal Uh, so it's sealed with seven seals not just one but with seven uh, being completely sealed but also that those seven seals are going to be seven different visions uh, they're going to be used and so we come down to verse 2 he says and I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals and so we see the the mighty angel and uh we think he's proclaiming with a loud voice. A strong angel distinguishes between the angel whose loud voice had beckoned John to come up, but it's a challenge to the world. And we have a strong angel, and certainly a strong angel is able to, to break. Uh, we, we see God's angels to do great things, but he is not going to break the seal. But he's, he declares, who can break the seal? Remember, there's a difference between being worthy And strong, and in this case, we're talking about worthy, not uh, uh, not strength. In Psalm 103:20, praise the Lord, you His angels, you mighty ones who do His bidding, uh, who obey His word. So, angels had tremendous amounts of strength, but it is not strength that is needed, and there's a reason. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And again, we think worthy versus strong. Which can open God's uh, scroll? In Matthew chapter three and verse eleven, as John the Baptist uh, has been asked by Christ to baptize, he says, "I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry." When uh, John the Baptist realizes when the Christ comes, he says, "I am not worthy to even uh, carry his sandals." Uh, in that, so there's a, the the idea of being worthy and uh, verses 3 through 4. And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. So the implication here is neither the living, those who were on the earth, or anyone dead who was under the earth, nor angels or the 24 elders or in heaven was worthy or Abel. And what we're looking at here is to know the future. And what is happening in these seals, when they are open, is the future. And there is only one that knows the future, and that is God. And so when we think of, of those who were under, those who had passed, neither Abraham, Daniel, they look at the names that I post here, Daniel, David, Noah, Samuel, Elijah, Enoch, uh, who did not see death, Michael, Gabriel, Paul, John the Baptist, who was called the greatest of those born of woman uh, before the kingdom came, or even John himself was not worthy of this. There was only one. There's only one person or one entity that has been given uh, to know what the future is. And that's what's being talked about in breaking these seals is to see what the future is. No one knows the future. In 1 Peter chapter 10 First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 10-12, through Peter is going to talk, he says, Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, talking about the future, and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So here we have really an encapsulation of what's being talked about in our verse in Revelation, that neither those uh, on the earth, those living, or those who had passed, those people that were in the past uh, who had passed away, those who had died, they weren't worthy to know the future. Things in which angels long to look. Angels did not know the future. They longed to know. Uh, Prophets couldn't know the future, nor could angels. And that's what's being uh, referenced here. No one knows the future but God alone. And we need proof 300 plus prophecies in the Old Testament that are fulfilled in the New Testament. We look at prophecies from Daniel chapter 2, who foresaw, God told him, what the history was going to be in those four kingdoms. He talked about first the Babylonian, then the Medo Persian, then the Greeks. Uh, than the then the Romans. But he says in that fourth uh, uh, kingdom was going to be established a kingdom that could never uh, be beaten. Okay, so we have um, down to verse 5, and one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. If you didn't know anything about the Bible, you would wonder, who is this lion of the tribe of Judah? Who is the root of David? Who has conquered? So he can open these. Well, scriptures identify this. Uh, and one of these elders, those are one of those that were identified in chapter 4, the one of the 24 that's surrounding the throne. The lion of the tribe of Judah we get from Genesis chapter 49 verses 9 through 10. Judah is a lion's whelp. And I've used the New King James Version because we come down to, you'll see it's highlighted in that last verse, until Shiloh comes. Some of the other later versions do not say Shiloh. Um, Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, you have gone up. He bows down, he lies down as a lion. And as a lion, who shall rouse him? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh comes, talking Shiloh is Christ. And to him shall be the obedience of the people. So this uh, lion of the tribe of Judah is identified in Genesis chapter 49, verse 9, and that is we know as Christ. And so the root of David, what is the root of David? Isaiah chapter 11 and verse one, "There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots." Dropping down to verse 10 of Isaiah chapter 11, "And in that day there shall be a root of Jesse. And David came, we look at the genealogies, in Jesse. Uh, Jesse was his father, who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Why is it important to read the genealogy in Matthew chapter 1 and again, and the genealogy in uh, Luke chapter 3? Because in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 1, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And, of course, it goes in those 14 generations from Abraham to David, 14 generations from David to the exile, and 14 generations from the exile until the birth. So it's important to know these genealogies and to prove that Jesus was the root of David. He came from the tribe of Judah. And so he's identified in Revelation chapter 3, and verse 7. Jesus says, And to the angel in the church of Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David... And we come down to Revelation 22:16. 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star, that harbinger of the dawn. Romans 1, 3, concerning his son who was descended from David according to the flesh. That which has been established over and over. There is no doubt that Jesus is from the tribe of Judah and is specifically from the Davidic line, that kingship has conquered. Over and over to the seven churches, Jesus will say, the one who conquers. Your version may say overcome, but overcome and conquer, same word in Greek. The one who conquers, I will grant him to, visit, to sit with me on my throne uh, as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. John sixteen thirty three. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome or conquered the world. And Matthew 28, 18, uh, the beginning of what we know of as the Great Commission. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why? Because he conquered. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. What did Jesus conquer? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And of course, he's talking about uh, conquering death. Oh, death, where? is thy sting. O death, grave, where is thy victory? A quote from the Old Testament. And now in between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns with seven eyes, which are seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. Very apocalyptic language here. And so so between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, he sees a lamb. And what is it between the throne? If we went back to chapter 4 and verse 6, and before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. Well, we talked last week about that, uh, that uh, bronze sea that Solomon had built and put with the, had the, the 12 oxen that were underneath it, uh, three facing each direction. Uh, for a total of 12, and you had to go by that sea in order to be cleansed, in order to go into the temple. And so who could go into that area, that sea, between the throne and the four living creatures? Only Christ could go into that area. He says, And I saw a lamb. And, of course, being familiar with Isaiah chapter 53, and verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before it shears the silence, so he open not his mouth. And that is the verse that uh, was being read when Philip uh, went down uh, to meet the uh, Ethiopian eunuch. And he says, who is this guy talking about? Who is he talking about, himself or someone else? So he was reading this about the lamb led to slaughter. Uh, in John chapter 1, verse 29, we read that John the Baptist, he says, the next day he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Uh, so, this lamb, he is standing as though he had been slain. And verses that would identify that uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. And that lamb goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. As we read in the book of Exodus about the lamb that was to be slain and the blood of that lamb, which was to go over the doorpost, which then the death angel passed over, all of that was a type or a shadow of those things to come. And that lamb was eventually to be uh, where Paul identifies it in the book of Corinthians as Christ is our Passover lamb. But notice that the lamb is standing, not lying, not sitting. He's not slain, but he is standing as though it had been slain. He has overcome and is alive. And Luke uh, 24, verses 5 through 7 uh, reads, And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. Uh, and again in luke twenty four and verse forty six he says, "And on the third day, rise from the dead uh, and so he also has seven horns, and a horn uh, is something that tells us that it has power or strength, and seven horns means it's it's seven is that uh that ultimate in power and strength uh, in first Samuel chapter. 2 and verse 10, in Hannah's prayer, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Uh, And Zechariah's prophecy in Luke chapter 1 and verse 69, says, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. So the horn signifying strength. Uh, And then finally, and says, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. Those, those seven eyes, and God is all seeing. In Second Chronicles sixteen nine it says, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. Zechariah four ten, for whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice, and shall see the plumb line and the hand of Zerubbabel These seven are the eyes of the Lord which range through the whole earth. Uh, verses that would have been readily recognizable to those uh, as referring to, uh, to God. Proverbs, and we have uh, two verses from Proverbs 15, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. And verse 21, a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord and he ponders all his paths. Hebrews 4.13, 4, And no creature is hidden from His sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes to whom we must give account. So this this idea over and over in Scripture that that God sees all things. As we come down to uh, verse 8, He says, When He had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And remember, Uh, we have this as uh, uh, he takes the scroll. So God has given the message to Christ. Uh, Christ is about to open those. The angels are going to show John what is going on. So we have this this line of ascension there uh, for this. And uh, the four living creatures. Uh, we find this uh, back in chapter four, and verses nine through eleven. It says, "Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and, and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne." So we see that that this scene keeps repeating itself. That the, uh, the four living creatures were constantly doing this, but every time they would say, "Holy, holy, holy." Uh, the 24 elders would fall down. And this uh, scene repeats itself again. Each holding a harp. And this uh, the idea of a harp is going to uh, play uh, several times in the book of Revelation, uh, I believe three times. Revelation 14, verses 2 through 3, And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. The voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing their harps. And they were singing a new song. And so the harps and the new song are going to go together when they're talked about uh, in the Scripture. Uh, chapter 15, verse 2 through 3, uh, And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast's image, the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass, with harps of God in their hands. And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the Nations. And so we see that uh, when the harps are brought out, it is to be singing a new song. Are there actual harps in this? Remember, we are seeing visions. Uh, it's what is being represented here. Is the harmony of it. And it says they have golden bowls full of incense. Some of your versions may say vile, but more technically, uh, the, the bowls uh, it would be more likely to be a bowl than, than an actual something with a flask that we would see. He says, the bowl bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. The psalmist in Psalm 141, one two says, Let my prayer be counted as incense before you, and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. What is the nature of incense? It is sweet-smelling, and it rises upward from the earth. As if that's rising upward, it's going up to God. And remember those things which we find in the Old Testament under the old law that Moses was given to, We read about in the book of Exodus and again in Leviticus where it talks about that there was a special mixture that was given that none other could have. And this was a special mixture that could only be used for the incense to God. And uh, so it was a type or a shadow of that to come. And the uh, Revelation 8 verse 3 and 4 tells us, And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints, on the golden altar before the throne, and the smoke of the incense with the prayer of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. And there we have rose before God. In those prayers, ought to remember that our prayers are ever going upward towards God who hears them, and they are a sweet smell. And so verses 9 and 10, it says, And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransom people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. And so we, uh, we've we read in the verses before this, they sang a new song. And the uh, uh, singing a song of this nature signifies a victory. We go back to Exodus chapter 15 and verse 1. It says, And Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And this is just after uh, Moses had, uh, and the Israelites had passed through the Red Sea uh, on, uh, on land as though it were dry. But as soon as they were across, that sea came in and destroyed the Egyptian army that was following them. And following this, we find that Moses and the people sang a song to the Lord. It was a song of victory at having passed through uh, and uh, the enemy being defeated. Well, now we look, uh, we can back up just a little bit. He says they're going to sing a new song. Okay, Worthy are you to take the scroll and open its seals. So uh, talking about uh, this song that they sing is talking about Christ. You are worthy to take that scroll and open its seals. For you were slain, you, uh, by the fact that you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people from God from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And this idea of being kingdom and priests is spoken of uh, in the book of Hebrews. And Peter tells us that we are a kingdom of priests uh, to God. And they shall reign on the earth. Okay, we come down to verses 11 and 12. Then I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And over and over this this chorus keeps ascending, uh, rising with more and more people joining in uh, about the glory uh, of Christ. Remember, chapter 4, Believe in God. Chapter 5, believe also in me, believe in Christ. Uh, As he looks at this scene that is unfolding about these myriads of myriads, uh, an exact number for myriads, uh, when it says numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. In 1 Kings chapter 22 and verse 19, as Micah was, uh, was a prophet, was saying, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on His throne and all the host of heaven standing beside Him on His right hand and on His left. And that was a... Uh, we'll, we'll see throughout the Old Testament that uh, the thought of God being surrounded by an, an in, nearly an innumerable amount of angels. Uh, when he talks about the Lord of hosts, uh, he's talking about uh, God's military might in leading angels, the angels being his army. Second Kings chapter six, verse 16 through seventeen. He said, "Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them." Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Uh, I've often wondered at this scene that plays out in in 2 Kings where Elisha had the faith to know that God was going to deliver it, but his, uh, his servant did not, and his servant... Uh, was wondering what was going to happen as they were surrounded by the enemy. But Elisha uh, prays, "Open his eyes and see." And the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all about them. And I wonder if sometimes if we could imagine in our times of trouble that we are surrounded by angels, uh, and we're, sound, we're, we're also standing beside us, as it were, is Christ, who is the head of all of those angels. They are at his command uh, for this. In Matthew chapter 26 and verse 53, Do not think that I cannot appeal to my Father, and He will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels. Hundreds and hundreds of, of angels. He says, I, that's what I could do. Deuteronomy 33 verse 2, He said, The Lord came from Sinai and dawned from Seir upon us. He shone forth from Mount Paran. He came from the ten thousands of holy ones with flaming fire at His right hand. Ten thousands. Thousands uh, of them. Daniel chapter 7 and verse 10. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousands served him and ten thousands time ten thousands stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. Daniel chapter 7 uh, is really a a glimpse of what is happening in uh, Revelation chapter 22. Talking about that final uh, time. But, here we have 10,000 times 10,000. Now you figure that's at least 100 million uh, if you want to do the math. But uh, after this is all done, you can do the math on this. And he talks about a kingdom. A kingdom is a, a people in favored relationship with God. And uh, in our case, the church is a people who are covered by the blood of Christ. Uh, in the fact, shall they be pleasantly presently reign or shall reign. It, it's really kind of unclear as to the, uh, uh, the future tense or present tense. We know that we are reigning with Christ. But in this sense, you know, we can find in 1 Corinthians 3.21 and following and Romans 5.17 and following, it talks about us reigning uh, and talking about shall reign, talking about after the oppression, after this uh, tribulation that they are uh, they are going to endure uh, that they they are indeed going to reign. They will not be defeated. And it's not talking about a millennial or a thousand-year reign uh, here on their, this earth. Uh, it's not what it's referring to. And so we come down to Revelation uh, verse 13. He says, And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. So we started out with... With the question being asked at the beginning, who is worthy? And Christ is put forth as one who is worthy. So it begins with the uh, the elders, the twenty-four elders around the throne, and the uh, the beasts, uh, the four living creatures that were around there. Then it comes to uh, to this multitude of angels, and then it comes all the way out here till we come to verse thirteen, every creature in heaven. Now, does that mean that it? Uh, that there's a time when all the birds and all of the cows and dogs and cats, uh, the fish in the sea and everything that is under the earth is going to... No. Remember, we are seeing a picture. We're seeing that everything recognizes uh, that Christ sitting on the, uh, on, the, on that throne, that Lamb, uh, He has blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. Christ is is equal with God. Christ is God there in heaven. And so we come down, I got the last one there. So we come down to uh, the verse 14. Uh, The last one that I'll read is the four living creatures said, amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. So that is the beginning of, uh, of we're just about ready. We're right perched. And unfortunately we have the uh, the chapter break here before we get into chapter 6, uh, but really there's, uh, uh, there's really no break. We, we have the chapter and verses that have been broken up for us years and years, centuries later, uh, but this is one continuous vision that is going to uh, continue. And as we come into the uh, six of the seven seals that are going to be broken in the next chapter, uh, it'll be a fascinating study for us. So as we close, and I hope that, uh, Lord willing, we'll have this class again next week and that you'll look forward to it. And I hope that you'll study this and see the things that were presented and study them for yourself and see the majesty and glory uh, that is contained within heaven, this picture that is that is opened up that Christ was worthy because he did conquer. And so let's close with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for time that we have had to spend here. We pray that it has been beneficial to us, that it has been productive, And we pray, Father, that we will realize the victory that we have in Jesus as His servants, as His disciples, and as Christians. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.